Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to reveal to us what you would want us to see from this great revival that we're going to be looking at in Israel under Hezekiah. I ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 31, starting at verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel that was present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the images and pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession, into their own cities. I'm going to stop there because we're going to have to get back here. So it starts out with, now when all this was, had, was finished, what is it talking about? The thing we've been looking at for the last two weeks. Hezekiah's great revival. He re- restored the, the temple, and within 16 days of his, his reign, he'd opened the temple, and then uh, within a a month and a half he had the Passover ceremony and they practiced Passover for two weeks and the people are on a revival revival high at this point because they're now being told to worship God so we have all of this going on and then it left Jerusalem the, the revival left Jerusalem they went to all the cities of Benjamin and Judah and everywhere that they found idols they broke them Everywhere they found an astral pole, they cut it down and destroyed it. All the high places, the people are doing it. This is the first time in, in the history of the kings where we see that the people doing this. Usually the king went out, he took his soldiers out, and he kind of forced this on. But we're seeing a revival that is starting from the ground. Well, started from Hezekiah, but it really kicked in with the people. And this is, this is why it's going to be a very big revival for them. A very great time in their history because it started with the king but moved very quickly into the people. And this is the only kind of revival we could use in our world today to be able to stop the, the rush headlong is for the people to truly revive their hearts and turn to God. And this is going to be the other thing. And it says they utterly destroyed them all. And after they got done with that, they decided to go home. Now, I don't know how long it took for them to go through every town and every city of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. But we're probably talking at least a month or two, (laughs) maybe several months. The people are going in and, you know, you almost could picture this to be in the riots. (laughs) You know, they're going into all these towns and you can picture people going, hey, you're destroying our... You're destroying our temple. You're destroying our God. You're destroying our idols as they go all around doing what Hezekiah really wants done to worship God. So this is a beautiful statement as we see this groundswell of revival coming into Hezekiah's time that he was leading. Verse 2. And Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priest and the Levites after their courses, every man according to his service, the priest and the Levites for burnt offerings and for peace offerings to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the tents of the, of the Lord. He appointed also the king's portion of his substance for the burnt offering to wit for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offering for the Sabbath and for the new moons and for the set feast as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the of the priest and the Levites, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. 
And as soon as the, as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn, wine, and oil, honey, and all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought, brought they in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in a tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things which were, which were consecrated unto the Lord their God and laid them by heaps. In the third month they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finished them in their seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and, the people, and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priest and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of, of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring offerings into the house of the Lord, we have enough to eat and, and have left plenty. For the Lord has blessed his people, and that which is left is this great store. So we're going to stop here. We had this revival kick in. The people are excited about God. They've had a two-week celebration of Passover. They've destroyed all the idols in, the, in Judah, Benjamin, and two other tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And it says, Hezekiah told, uh, went out and he appointed the courses of the priest after their jobs. Now these, we read courses, you want to go back to 1 Chronicles 23, verse 6. David divided, there were so many priests and Levites that David divided them into 24 courses so that they could that way they wouldn't all be at the temple all the time because there were just too many of them. So he divided them up and gave each one of them jobs in each of the courses. Hezekiah's going, hey, David did this. We're going to go back to what he did. So he's dividing everybody up and says, this is when you work. This is when you work. This is what you do. This is how you do your work. He's organizing the temple as they're getting back in. And he says, according to the service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings... For peace offerings, so the two different types of offerings, we've talked about these on several occasions. Burnt offerings were when somebody gave total dedication to God, and they say, I want to give a burnt offering, and rather than burning themselves up, they would burn an animal and say, this animal is being burnt up to God, but I am the one that is totally being dedicated to God. The peace offering was just a gift to God, and you brought that in, and God got his quarter of the offering usually the the in the innards and the priest got a big chunk of it and you got about half of it back and you had to eat it within 24 to 48 hours depending on the reason that you hit it did it so these are the two big offerings that were given by the people over and over again and then he goes they were to minister to serve god and i love this and to give thanks and to praise him so there were there were certain people that their job was to cut up the sacrifices and burn them and, and do everything, skin them. Because uh, remember when we talked about the sacrifices, they did not burn the hides. They would come in with these offerings, they would cut, they would cut them, they would skin them and prepare the pieces. The priest and the Levites got the, got the hides that was part of their quote-unquote pay um, so that they got that portion of it. They would get portions of the other off, many of the other offerings as well. So that we have all this, and then there were some of them that they were just to give thanks and praise. They sang before God. The temple had music in it 24-7 all the time. So when you bring the new priest in, another group would take over. So, and then I don't know how long their shifts were. I don't know if they ran 12-hour shifts or if, uh, our normal 8-hour shifts. I don't know what they did, but they were people singing 
and praising God with musical instruments all day, all night. And they were to do the praise in the temple and in the gates. And all of this was going on. And then in verse 3 it says, And Hezekiah gave the king's portion of his substance to burnt offerings for the morning and evening offerings and, and for the burnt offerings and the Sabbaths and new moons and all the feasts as written in the law. So you got a picture. Hezekiah is very wealthy. He's a very wealthy king. He is setting the example to the people and saying, I am giving a tithe of everything that I have. And he's going to call on the people to do, to do their, do their uh, part to, with, with giving to God. So he's giving a tithe and probably an offering as well, I would imagine. It sounds, you know, but it says the king's portion. And I'm not, everything I read, everybody said it was just the, the large section because the king was so wealthy. And I kind of agree with that. That's probably what he did plus. Um, and, you know, so he's given out. And in verse 4 it says, Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion, give the portion of the priests and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. Now what you need to understand is what he's telling them is give the offerings you're supposed to do. Bring your tithes and your offerings. So this was him going in and saying, okay, people, it is time to bring in the tithe. Ten percent of everything that you get comes to God. Not only that, he was telling them to bring in the first fruit offerings. If you're not familiar with what the first fruit offering is, when the farmer would take his first harvest of the crop, God said, I want the first, the first uh, part of the crop. Which was kind of a scary thing because if they didn't have the next rain and all of that, they could lose, get, not, get nothing. And God said, are you going to depend on me? So he asked for the first fruits. And for us, as our day would be the first paycheck that we get on a new job or, some, or the first increase that we get on a new job would be first fruits. God, I'm showing you that I depend upon you. So he's asking them for that. And he's saying, encouraging them for all of this. And he says, and I love this, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. He's saying, this is what God said to do. Step forward and do what he asked. Most of everything that God asks us to do is a step of faith. When God says, even giving 10% to him. God, I can barely live on 100% and you want me to give you 10%. It's a step of faith to see what God is going to do by doing these things. So it's all a step of faith. And he says, be encouraged in these laws. Be encouraged in what is going on with God. And we are to do this. We're to take our steps with God and be faithful to him. And just learn to trust him. And sometimes that's hard to do. When we look around and go, God, you know, you want me to do what? <laughs> and, and God is saying, just, just obey. Just obey and see what I will do. And it is hard for us sometimes to be looking at that. And so he says that they might be encouraged. And it says, as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought abundance of first fruits, corn, wine, oil, honey, and all the increase of the field, and the tithes of all the things brought they in abundance. Now, note this. He commanded Jerusalem to be obedient. And it says, as soon as he went abroad, 
as soon as the news was going on that he's asking people to, to give, it says that the children of Israel brought in abundance. So here we've gone from the priests and the Levites not even being able to go into the temple, not being able to live on the portion that they are supposed to get, to all of a sudden an abundance of supplies coming into the temple. And this is a beautiful picture when we read, when we, when we read about this in this, this section of scripture. It says they brought corn, wine, oil, honey, and these were the first fruits. Remember we just said the first fruit was that first harvest that they're bringing in, and they're bringing it into the temple. This is a great revival. The people are gone from not honoring God, not giving tithes, not giving offerings, to all of a sudden saying, we're going to give. This has to be more than just the king commanding. This has to be a true heart change. Probably for the first time in all of Israel's existence, they have a heart change that the people want to come and willingly give to God. And we see this great thing, and it says, and they gave a tithe of all things. So this is a great offering coming in the temple. And then in verse 6 it says, And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought tithes of oxen and sheep and tithes of the holy things that were concentrated, and they laid it up by heaps. So the people all around started bringing things in. And I, I, I read this and I go, they, they, they started make, bringing it in by heaps. So all over the temple... There's piles of grain, piles of jars of honey, piles of, of uh, all this stuff coming in. And how encouraged must the priest and the Levites been to look around and saying, look at all of this stuff. And remember, when we did our study in, in the Pentateuch, in the tithes, the tithes belonged to the priest's and the Levites. And then they would give a tithe to the, to, the, to the high priest. And I don't know what the high priest did, but everybody gave, gave a tithe up the, up the thing. So these, they're saying there is so much here, we don't even know what to do with our part of it. I don't know how many priests there were at this point, but there are a lot of priests, and they have so much they cannot give it all away to the other priests. And we're going to see this as it's going on. Uh, this is an... People are saying, God, we just want to honor you. Now, I've never been part of a church anywhere in my life where I've seen more stuff coming in than is neat, than can be given out. But here, we're seeing the priest and the Levites getting just a great blessing. People are coming. They're saying, God is blessing. We're going we're gonna to honor. The king has encouraged us to follow God, and God has opened up the temple and we're going we're gonna to give it in. And there were heaps of stuff all over the place. Now, kind of messy temple at this point. <laughs> uh, because we got heaps of all this grain and corn and bottles of wine and oil and honey. And it says, and in the third month, they began to lay a foundation of the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. So at this point, in the third month since they've opened up, they start probably putting down some kind of, you know, foundation because they're starting to say we can't just let this stuff stay on the ground so they're laying some kind of foundation for it and probably crates who know who knows what they're doing they're trying to organize 
They laid a foundation and it took them four months to be able to find all of this storage. And it's still kind of, you know, now you've got probably crates or at least platforms of some sort all over the temple. And this is going to be very interesting. And the verse 8 says, And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people. He's looking, now this is what I wanted to see. God being blessed. So he says, thank you, Lord, for all the blessings. But he also has a question for them. And then he turned to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah questioned the priest and the Levites concerning the heap. So he's going, what is, basically, what's going on here? You know, and his thought probably was, why are you hoarding all of this stuff in, in, in the temple and not distributing it? I'm sure that was what his question was. I mean, he's looking around, he's seeing piles of grain and, and jars of honey and oil and everything, and he's probably looking around and saying, um, hey, high priest, why, why isn't this stuff going, going out? You know, a natural question. You know, the people are blessing you guys, why isn't it going where it belongs? And so, verse 10, And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people, and that which is left is this great store. In other words, we're eating more than we can eat. We're getting more than we can eat. And we're going to find out later on, he was also including the fact that the priest everywhere else had, had stuff. So he's going, we are being generously supported. And this is the beauty of what happens when God moves. Those who are serving him also get the blessing as well. And, these, and the priest is going, uh, Hezekiah, don't worry. We've been taken care of. We, we, we're eating to our full, and this is what is left over. Um, and so all of this is coming down saying, and I don't know how much was there. I, you know, it doesn't tell us how many heaps, but it's enough to grab Hezekiah's attention. It's, it's enough to, to, for them to say, uh, we're not lacking anything. You know, not, too many, not too many pastors and priests can ever say, you know, not lacking anything. And they're going, we have eaten to abundance. There is so much here. And, and Hezekiah, all of this left over, we don't know what to do with this because we're all taken care of. And this is a great change from where they have been. Remember, seven months earlier, the doors to the temple had been locked. Nobody could get into the. Nobody was giving anything to God. The priests and the Levites were all in their little cities trying to farm their little plots of land around their cities and try to do some kind of living out there without the money coming in from the temple, without the gifts coming in from the temple. Now, seven months after Hezekiah takes over power, takes the throne, they have more than they know what to do with. That's a, that's a blessing. Yeah, that is a great blessing that has been bestowed upon them. So verse 11, Then Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. And they brought in officers, and they brought in the offerings and the tithes and the dedicated things faithfully, over which Koraniah of the Levite was ruler, and Shimei, his brother, was next. Jehel and Aziah uh, and Nahath, 
and Asiel and Jehermoth and Jehoshaphat and Eliel and Ishmaqiah and Mahath and Benaiah were overseers under the hand of Kaniah and Shimei his brother at the commandment of the Hezekiah the king and Azariah the ruler of the house of God and Korah the son of Imna of the Levite the porter toward the east was over the freewill offerings of God to distribute the oblations of the Lord and the most holy things and next to him was Eden and Minnaamin and Jeshua and Shimei and Amariah and Shechaniah in the cities of the priest in their set offices to give to their brethren by course as well as to the to the great as well to the great as to the small besides their genealogy of the males from three years old and upward even to everyone that entered into the house of the Lord his daily portion for their service and their charges according to their courses both the, to the genealogy of the priest by the house of their fathers and the Levites from the 20 years old and upward in their charges by their by their courses and to the genealogy of all their little ones their wives and their sons and their daughters through all the congregation for the for, the, for in their set offices they sanctified themselves in holiness also the sons of Aaron the priest which were in the fields and the suburbs of their cities and every several city and the men were ex expressed by name and, and to give portions to all the males among the priests and to all that were reckoned by the genealogies among the Levites. So here we have an indication of the largeness of this offering. All right. Uh, first off, Hezekiah says, okay, we can't have these heaps laying all over the place. So he commands them to build basically storehouses, probably against the walls. And he's basically he's saying, we're really happy that people are giving, but we need to clean up, clean up the place. It, it's looking bad. Um, and so he builds chambers or has chambers built. I don't think he literally built them himself, obviously. Um, and they prepared them. And then it says, and they brought the offerings and the tithes and dedicated things faithfully. And then it gives us this long list of people he put in charge. Uh, and you look at this list, and it's two people in charge and another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Another ten people overseeing the food distribution. It's a pretty good-sized distribution program going on. And I really I almost would love to have seen this. Everybody coming to the temple with baskets and bottles and and everything coming to the temple and saying this is our tithe this is our first fruit maybe even coming with carts to the temple who knows if they were really wealthy you know and had a really good farm and given their tithes and everything and everybody coming and totally blessing the priest with their offerings and they're trying to find places to put it so their first job is to get this stuff all put away and and distributed and then it gives us that Korah, uh, who was a porter, who was in charge of the goodwill, uh, the freewill offerings, to distribute the oblations of the Lord and the most holy things. So his job was to take care of the offerings that belonged to God, you know, uh, directly to God. Uh, and so he is working on all of this, and he has several people. 
And in verse 15 it says, And they were gave to their brethren by their courses as well as to the great and to the small. So what they did is, I guess they organized caravans because these people live all throughout Israel. And they're going, okay, all these people on the other courses, we're not going to make them wait 24 you know, 24 weeks uh, before they finally come in and get their stuff, we're going to be, everybody gets their share of the food. All of the priests and Levites would get their food. And goes, I don't care what their job is, whether it's the high priest or the lowliest Levite who did nothing but sweep the floors and polish the, polish the brass. Now, we always kind of think of these guys all being equal, and yes, technically they were, but I am sure there were guys with a little more respect than others. And, you know, the newest guys got to do the menial jobs just like it always is. And the guys that have been around for a while got to do the more prestigious jobs like cut up the animals and put them on the fire. And uh, priests were able to go into the holy place and put the oil in the menorah and put the showbread in. Uh, so they're saying that it doesn't matter who you are, you're getting your portion of these offerings. They're trying desperately to keep it moving, keep it moving and being able to reward every place. But can you picture yourself? I just really want to bring this up. These priests have been barely subsiding for decades, if not a century or more, because the temple has been not in order. They barely scratched out a living on their little farms because they only had about you know, five miles around their city or so to, to have farms and stuff. And their cities were all over the place. They could not have big farms because God said they were to be taken care of by the people. And for a long time, they had not been cared for by the people. Now, all of a sudden, they have more than they know what to do with. And they're distributing this out to them. And it says, verse 16, Beside their genealogy of the males from three years old and upward, even to everyone that entered into the house of the Lord, his daily portion for the service of their charges according to their courses. So basically every priest, priests were counted from three years old and up, even though they didn't serve as three years old. But So all the priests, the sons of Aaron, all got their portions from three years old and up, which meant some households got quite a bit. If you had a number of, if he was a, priest who had four or five males and from three years old he would get he'd get his five portions plus his own to be able to distribute all right technically it belonged to the sons but they would have given to, probably probably gone to the father and then he goes and besides the genealogy of the priest the fathers and the levites from 20 years old and upward by by their charges so the so the levites from 20 years and up now you go, well, that's not really fair. Well, number one, there were less priests, so the priests started working and getting honor at a much younger age, and they started working at a much younger age. And the Levites, who had very hard labor, started laboring at 20 years old. They started their labor at 20 years old, and, and all of them worked until 60, if they lived that long. So they had a retirement age of 60. And as they got older, they would do less and less and give more and more to the younger younger generation. But the, the Levites had to do all the cleaning, they did all the, they did all the cutting up of the animals, and they prepared all the work. They actually did a lot of the hard work. And so, but it says they, all the Levites, got their portions as well from this. 
And so this is kind of an interesting thing. And then verse 18 is very interesting. And to the genealogy of all their little ones, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, throughout all the congregation, for in their set office, they sanctified themselves to holiness. So not only, they have so much stuff that not only are the priests and the Levites being blessed, but they're going to go, okay, how many kids do you have? You know, where's your wives? Here, here's stuff for your wife. Here's stuff for your daughters. Here's stuff for, you know, we counted your kids. Now you've got younger kids than, than 20. You've got younger kids than three. You know, how many do you have? We're going to give them. This is quite a generous gift, and it gives you a picture of the generosity of the people at this time. This was the portion that each priest got in Levite was enough to be able to take care of their family in and of itself. And now they're giving that portion also to every single member of their family and saying, well, we have so much stuff. And they still had rooms and storehouses full of stuff. I, I almost would love to see what this would have looked like when people really, truly got excited about God and said, we are going to dedicate everything to God. And this is something that only in a couple places in the scripture do we see this happening. The very first time we see it happening was Moses says, we're going to build a temple. And he says, people give to God all that you want. If you remember, the, the workers came to Moses and said, we have way too much stuff to build this tabernacle. And Moses had to tell the people to stop giving. You know, stop giving. Solomon had the same problem when he says we're going to build this temple and the people started giving. Now his father and he had put way, way a lot of stuff too. But they had to say stop giving. Now, now they didn't actually say stop giving but you can see the abundance of what's coming in. So much so that they are able to bless not just the workers but every single member of their family as well. With a, with a portion for themselves. This is wonderful move of God. To see God work in a mighty way like this would just be so fantastic and find out what God has planned. And here we're seeing all of this. And it says, verse 19, just in case we didn't fully understand, also the sons of Aaron, the priests, which were in the fields, and the suburbs of their cities, and every several city, the men that were expressed by name to give portions to all the males among the priests and to all that were reckoned by the genealogies of the Levites. So even those that weren't in Jerusalem, we've already said this, and this, but he repeats it again. All of them. You didn't have to be in Jerusalem to be treated good. He said, we have so much stuff we're giving to every priest, everybody that's on that record. That's what they talk about, the genealogies. Everybody who's on the roll as a priest, as a Levite, and their families, even when they shipped it out to the other cities, they didn't have to come to the temple to get it. They're going, okay, you live in Bethlehem, you live in, you live in uh, Bethel, you live in Jer Jericho, here is your portions. We're, we're, I, can, I can see it now, cartloads of things going out. <laughs> All over, the, all over the countryside, you know, from these guys saying, all right, we have eight priests and 12 Levites and their families in, 
in this city over here, pack up their stuff and get it out to them. These guys really understood how to, how to move things around, how to organize, how to get things done, and that every single priest is being blessed. Why? Because it, they had remembered at the beginning of this whole process, it said many of them had not sanctified themselves, had not followed through. They did not expect, it's kind of interesting, the priests themselves did not expect the revival that they saw. And they had not sanctified themselves. They had not come in. And then very quickly after things started happening, they're going, hey, guys, get in here. We need all the help we can get. And now they're all being blessed by this great revival that's hit the people. That we were talking about, you know, maybe not seeing a revival. But, you know, in Hezekiah's day, everybody would have said the same thing. There is no way we're going to have a revival. We haven't even had the temple open. And you're just opening the doors of the temple are not going to bring people bring people out and yet all of Judah and Benjamin and even Manasseh and, and Ephraim came and a revival struck. Now, this is the great news. Even when we cannot see revival, we need to pray for revival because God can have a plan anyway for revival. And in Hezekiah's day, we see a great revival. They're going out destroying, destroying temples, uh, idols and temples and altars and and they're bringing in gifts by the, by the bushels and, and so much so that the priests are saying, huh, we don't even know what to do with all of this. We're going to give it to everybody. They don't even have to be serving that, that two weeks. We're, giving, we're shipping it out to them. We're going to give it to everybody. And I love the generosity that they were having. You know, part of it was they had so much they had to be generous. But there was this generous spirit that was going on in a very full way and everybody's getting their daily portion and they're shipping the daily portions out. What a blessing. And, can, and again, picture this. The priest had not been treated right for well over a generation, if not two or three generations. And all of a sudden, they're seeing what God said was supposed to happen. The people are giving and we are getting a blessing because we're the servants of God. And I go, what a blessing that would be to see all of this going on. And how encouraged would it make the priests and the Levites now? All of a sudden, they are getting, they're getting all this food, all these gifts, all this stuff coming in, and they're going, this was what we read about this. They are being encouraged in the law. Remember we said that... Uh, Hezekiah challenged the people to give so they would be encouraged in the law. Here's a chance for the priest to be encouraged in the law. The people are doing what they said and look at the reward that we're getting. And we see the evidence of here is because Azariah said that, hey, the people have been giving the first fruits, they've been giving their tithes, and God is blessing. And they're seeing great increase. They're getting a harvest that they have never seen in generations because they have obeyed God. And they gave the first fruits, they gave the tithes, and they're going, wow, look at that, look at this second harvest. <laughs> in the third harvest, I don't know how many harvests you can have, you know, second, third, fourth harvest, you know, and they're going, God is blessing us. And then they bring the tithe of those offerings. And we see this great dedication to God. Starting from Hezekiah, one man, but very quickly going to the people. And then we're seeing the encouragement and the reward 
to even the priests and the Levites. And this is what happens under a big revival. The Great Awakening in America was a revival that turned people's hearts. The Second Great Awakening, the same thing. Both of those ones had all kinds of places where pastors would come in, they'd preach revival, and the entire town would commit to God, and you'd see some great revival, and, and the saloons and, and bars and brothels would all close down, not because they made laws against them, but nobody went to them. Or the owner got saved and shut them down, whichever it was. And all these things happened. Over and over again, things happened because God moved. And in Hezekiah's day, God moves. God is moving in a powerful way, and the people are going out and saying, we are going to follow God. We're getting rid of all of these idols. Now, it doesn't last real long, unfortunately. The revival of Hezekiah does not last real long, but it lasts most of his reign. And but it's a big revival. And remember, he is, he is going to reign for, for a few decades, so it is a good revival. But we see here God moving and the people responding. And this is what my prayer is for us, is that God will move in a revival. Now, we were talking about it's hard to see when we look at the Bible and we look at the signs around us and how close to the end times we are. It's hard to see a revival Going, being, going to strike. But I've said this several times, every time there's been a revival in the Bible and in history, in those days, everybody would have said, there's no way we can have a revival. Look how bad everything is. So our prayer needs to be for revival. Our hope needs to be for revival. If it doesn't, well, then praise God, we get rapture, we get to go home, and the end times hit. Now, we win either way. I'd like to see a revival because I'd like to see a lot more people saved. But if there isn't a revival, we get rapture. We get to go home and enjoy, enjoy heaven during the, while the tribulation is going on. And we as Christians win whether there's a revival or not a revival. So we just need to pray for revival. Because if a revival hits, we win anyway because all of a sudden the blessings of God flows. And we've seen different revivals over the, over the times, uh, over the years and, the, and these things happening. And God can do great things things because revival is all God anyway. God working on people's hearts that have humbled themselves and turned to him. And we need to be looking for that. And Hezekiah just calls the people to revive, to revival. He says, we as a nation are going to follow God and the people do it wholeheartedly. And we see, how do we know this wholehearted? Well, because they've gone out and destroyed all the idols they've, and they've given up, given up their substance. Because the hardest thing for people to give is their wealth and their time. Those two things are hard for people to give, and these people are doing both. They're giving their tithes, they're giving their first fruits, and they're giving their time and effort and, and their service to destroy the idols and to bring God into, into effect. And this is where real revival comes. You know, when I look at people, I'm looking at, are they willing to serve God? And is their pocketbook being affected? Not that I will ever know because I don't, I don't know. I just look at the totals on our, on, our, on our offerings. But you know, our church doesn't do too bad overall. You know, we've increased our budget a lot since I first started here. And we have pretty good gifts for a church of our size. We have people that are giving. And that is good. And I'm looking forward to when God brings more people in and we still see the giving going on and we see the dedication following. 
because this is what happens. And then we can reach out to more people by, by all of that. And all of this is going on, and Hezekiah is bringing, seeing this great work starting at the temple. It was actually starting with the people, but he, he did the Passover and the sacrifices, and the people are honoring God, and they're being blessed. Verse 20 and 21 Thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. This is the testimony of Hezekiah at this point in his life. He says he continued to do this. He continued to push all of his his revival changes and the, and the following of God all through Judah and beyond. We saw him invite Israel into all of this as well. And it says, and everything that he did was good and right and true before God. His heart was dedicated to God. He wanted to serve God. And that attitude that he has toward God is reflected in his people and their desire to follow after God. And then it says in verse, and every work, and I love this, in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, it says prospered at the end. So, but I'm going to break this down. Every work that he began in service to the, for the house of God. So everything he did for God, for the temple, prospered. Then it says, and in the law. I think he's probably one of the very few kings that actually read the Pentateuch. Because he's acting on everything that's going on. If he's not reading it, he's being taught it. And every time he's being taught, he's going, oh, we need to do this. Let's get it, let's get it started. And we don't really understand because how many of us as Christians really spend much time in the Pentateuch? Not a whole lot of us. Um, I love the Pentateuch. I love reading about it because I see Jesus all over it. But he's looking at it and saying, oh, we're supposed to be doing this? Let's get it done. We're supposed to do this? Let's get it done. And every time he learns something else that he's supposed to be doing, he humbles himself and calls on the people to follow the laws of God. You know, and this is the wonderful thing. God's laws, the keeping of the Sabbath. Before this, they had not been keeping the Sabbath. And he's going to say, we're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going we're to follow the dietary laws. You know, and the thing about God's laws is if you really look at his laws and compare them about what we know about cleanliness and, and everything, most of his laws had a very practical application as well. Uh, he said that you were to wash your hands before you, before you fixed food and ate. Well, we kind of know nowadays you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. Wash your hands before you cook. And he actually even talked about letting them dry by holding your hands up so the water dripped down your arms instead of to your fingertips. You know, he covered all of that stuff. Now we just use towels and everything so, because we understand, but he, he talked about this. He talked about that if a rodent runs across your plates and dishes or food, you had to get rid of them, you know, wash them or get rid of them. Now, we understand that that's a big problem in many countries. During the Black Plague in, in Europe, 
where everybody was dying because the uh, the the fleas on all the the uh, rats. The Jews did not die of the Black Plague very often. Why? Because they followed God's laws. They washed their plates. They did. They they cleaned. They threw away things that had rats on it. The people who didn't ate all that stuff, and they got they got diseased. And then, of course, the people in Europe decided that the Jews were at fault for the Black Plague because they were all getting sick and the Jews weren't getting sick, so they started persecuting the Jews. Instead of obeying God's laws, they persecuted them because they're going, look at this magic that they're, they're doing. They're not sick. We are. It's their, it's their fault. You know, and all of this happens because they obeyed in the law. And then he says, and in the commandments, God's commandments, you know, that he gives us to obey. And he sought God. I love that statement. Hezekiah sought God. Now, we don't read throughout the story of Hezekiah very often where he says, okay, priest, tell me. Now, we saw David was the only king we really saw that a lot in. David hardly did anything without it being said in there. He went to the priest and said, should I do, should I do, what should I do? Here we just see the statement that Hezekiah sought God, which means that he prayed, went to the priest, had the prophets ask God, you know, should we do this? What should we do? How should we do it? He sought God. And this is, should be, these three things should be for us. Do we serve God diligently in his church? Not just the church building, but in his church, the, the people of, that make up the church. Do we serve him? Do we seek to obey his laws and commandments? Now, I know that we do not live under the law of God. We live by grace, and we're not, and we're not bound by the law. But God's laws are good. God's laws come from who he is. And we've talked about this several times. God is not capricious in making rules. All, right? all of his commandments, all of his laws are based in who he is. And so when we truly turn our eyes on God and say, God, I want to be like you, we can turn to his laws and his commandments and say, these are what I should be following to be more like God. I don't want us to be bound up by laws. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're going to get bound up by laws, but we also should be looking at these laws and saying, God, you gave them for a reason. And not to be bound up and say, well, I can't eat pig. I can't do this. I can't do that. But be able to say, God, what is it that you're trying to have us do? And be able to follow those. Now, in our day and age, mostly we follow them because it's good science. All right? Uh, the meat that we're not allowed to eat in the Bible, well, we now know how to cook it so that we cook out all the bacterias and stuff that were bad for you. Well, some of the food is still not good for us, especially if we have gout and stuff. Most of the food that was banned is stuff you're not supposed to eat and shouldn't eat. But I don't want to get legalistic about all of that. If you're happy obeying it, be my guest. If you're not, be my guest. That's what Paul said. Do you have liberty to do something? And remember, how have I defined liberty? If you have no uh, hesitation in your attitude about something, then you have liberty. If you're wondering whether you should do something or if you should not do something, you don't have liberty. It's real simple. Now, 
But don't get yourself bound up. Don't bind up others either. And Hezekiah is following all of these things. And the last one for us is to seek God. Pray about God. You know, follow Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I love that. God, I want to trust you. I want to seek you. And when I do that, God will direct. Now, one of the newer versions in that Proverbs 3, 5, 6 keeps saying, God will make straight your paths. And I don't really like that. that you know, I like the idea that God directs our path because most of my life has never been a straight line with God. Now, it has been very narrow and very you know, confined, but it has not been just, okay, just look down. If you, if you think about a straight line, if you've ever driven in the, in the Midwest where you come up over a hill and you look and the road goes straight, you know, and you're going, well, all I have to do is get to that mountain three days later. <laughs> you know, by our speeds, not three days, but hours later. Uh, that's a straight line. If you're driving a straight line, you really don't need God to direct you. God, you put me on the path. All I've got to do is go straight. No problem. I got this. You're not trusting God at that point. God directs our path. He tells us where to go, who to talk to, what to do. And it says he sought him. And then the last part is he did all and did, with, did it with all his heart. Do we truly seek God with all, our, all that's in us? Now, I know that I don't always do that. I like to do things my own way too many times. But he said that Hezekiah did it all with all his heart. He says, we are going to serve God. We are going to do this. And this is going to be very important to do everything full devoted to God. Moody said, the, the world has not seen what a man can do that is fully devoted to God. Because nobody is fully devoted to God. But man, what has God done with those who have come close to being fully devoted? He has lifted up great ministries. What can be done if we were to be fully devoted to God with all of our heart? And heart means our innermost being who we are at the core of our being. Not just what we do to make it look good, not what we do and say to, to make people think we're good, but what do we do even when nobody else is around? Nobody else sees what we're doing. That is serving God with all our heart. And he did all of this and it says, and prospered. And I think God would do the same thing for us. If we're obedient to him and the law and the commandments and and seeking him and seeking him out and doing it with all our heart, God will bring prosperity. Maybe not dollars and cents prosperity, but you know, one of the things that I love is the prosperity that God gives me, that he gives me joy and peace that pretty much overwhelms my life most of the time. I love that. I'm well known at the prison for somebody who just is joyful. I had one person go, you gotta get out of here, you're too joyful. <laughs> And going, sorry, this is just the way it is. I need, I need to be more joyful so more people will join me in being joyful. You know, uh, but you know, this is so important. What is prosperity? What is victory? 
I've been thinking a lot about victory. Most people define victory as the absence of any problems. That's not victory. Victory is winning over the problems. Going through the problems and being a winner on the other side is victory. We cannot have victory in God without problems. We will not be able to prosper without problems because God is going to say, are you fully dedicated to me? Are you fully in service to me no matter what happens? When problems happen, I go, thank you, God. What's going to, what, what, what's going to be the result of this? I look forward to the problems. I'm not, real, I'm not a sadist. I don't, I don't you know, I'm looking forward to being hurt, but I'm looking forward to what God will do through the problem. I'm looking forward to what God will fix and how he's going to make something come out on the other side and say, God, I want to be dedicated to you. Because without the problems, we easily fall into our own way. Because without a problem, without us needing God, we just do things our way. God, I can get, I can get by, no problem. Yeah. Hey, straight road, no problem. God, all I got to do is go straight, not a problem at all. Uh, God, what's this ditch in the middle of the road? Why didn't they build a bridge on this road? And God's saying, well, that's your problem. Let's, let's, let's work through it. Help, let's build the bridge so others can go down this road with, you know, and follow you. All these things that go on for us that God is saying, serve me. And are we willing to do what Hezekiah did? Call people to worship and be an example. He was an example of proper worship. The people followed in his example. And God says, because of all of this, I'm going to prosper you. So our call for it is to prosper with God and to work with him and be total service of God. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. We ask you, God, to help us learn to serve you, to follow you, and most, often, most importantly, Lord, to seek you and follow you in all that you guide and lead so that you can prosper us in what we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.